Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. even as we are praying, expectancy can begin to stir in our hearts, Lord. We want to just declare, God, that we are expected to meet with you, Lord God. To meet with you this morning, Lord, but to meet with you in a precious way at convergence. God, we pray that you prepare our hearts, Lord Jesus. We pray that you prepare our being, Lord Jesus. We pray that you prepare every speaker where you bring direct that convergence truly would be a weekend where we hear your voice, Lord. A weekend where you bring direction, Lord God. A weekend where you inspire us, Lord God. A weekend where you call us closer to you, Lord. You call us higher. A weekend where we're filled with more of you, Jesus. A weekend, Lord, where we're changed and transformed by the knowledge of you. So we pray for that, Lord. Even as we're going to be praying in the next few weeks, God, we pray, God, that your kingdom would come, your will would be done during convergence, Lord, as it is in heaven. So it is in this place, Lord. That is our desire. And even as we gather here this morning, Lord, we want to meet with you. We want to have a grace encounter that draws us closer to the lover of our soul. Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Megan and Ben. You guys are really amazing. I appreciate you guys so very much. As I said earlier, so good to be here with everyone and just to be able to share. But we've had a, a busy ministry week from services last week. I see Janelle and Jolene standing, sitting at the back there. and We baptized them and Maria last week after the service. And then throughout this week, we've had our relationship week, which has been good fun, um, speaking with our young people, and some perhaps a little bit not quite so young anymore, but still young, just about what does a godly relationship look like, and really just encourage um, seeing people hungry to do it right in the eyes of the Lord. Um, and Life Encounter, we had a small group attending Life Encounter yesterday, but it was just amazing just to be able to stand still around the basics of what it is that we believe that Jesus has done for us, and that never gets old. It's called the good news for a reason, and it remains news even if we've heard it our entire lives. And then um, this morning, I'm sort of carrying on a little bit around the theme of relationships, and as I was sort of preparing, I, I realized it, it's weird how, how we drawn to certain things in life and other things not. I've always been 
since we've started sort of relationship weeks all those years ago. I've so loved being able to minister to young people about relationships. I had the first one that we did here in Pretoria. I just got married, and it was just so great to be able to give and share some of what we learned over those years, and still love doing that. And sort of preparing for marriage, a, a marriage message this morning. I was like far more hesitant. You know, I don't quite know why that is, but some things are just easy and comfortable and. Um, a little bit like when my, my father, I, I, from time to time, I'd reference him in example, as an example, and I'd have to be very careful about what I say, because what if this message gets back to my dad, and I haven't portrayed him in the best possible light or whatever, because our dads aren't perfect, and sometimes things do happen that weren't quite ideal in shape and form us in ways, and when I went through his laptop a while ago, he recently passed away, um, just going through his laptop, just seeing what is the stuff we need to keep on here. I noticed that he'd actually been a regular visitor to our YouTube channel and had been watching what we had been sharing, so I'm glad. And, and for this, eve- this morning, it's a little bit even a step up because my wife is actually right here. So, you know, if I want to have a nice Sunday, I must say nice things about my wife, which fortunately is not very hard to do. But I want us this morning to take a moment, and we're going to read one of those passages that when I read in Scripture, I'm like, no, Jesus, you really should not have said this. The Bible would have been a better book if this piece was not in there. I would have read it easier. It would have made more sense. My life would have been easier if this little piece, Jesus, hadn't been there. It's like one of those pieces we read that and we just feel like a failure immediately. We read that and we are like, whoa, Jesus, this is, you're asking me to do something which is pretty close to impossible. And it's in Ephesians 5, that well-known passage where Paul helps us and gives sort of direction around marriage and understanding around marriage. What I want us to see is in verse 21, he starts with sort of the template for everything that is to follow for the rest of Ephesians. And he says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I guess the first thing that I I want us to see around this this morning is that all of our action in marriage starts with reverence for Christ. It starts with loving Jesus first. And then what he says there is, and submit to one another. We're talking about a, a mutual submission here. And this morning, I don't want to sort of get too much into the the exact technicalities of what it looks like and what it doesn't look like. We have a great marriage preparation and a marriage enrichment course where we dig through these things and we're able to sort of dig into them in your environment. What does that look like for you in your marriage? And perhaps also say, I realize some of us here this morning are not married and it is a great place to be this morning. Because one of the things that I've learned around marriage relationships is Apart, obviously, from the sexual element of it, every other good relational element still works in marriage. If we can do this well in a marriage, we will do it well in our friendships and vice versa. So the general principles of relationships, they still count. So these principles will still count wherever we are. And then also, one day when you do get married, this will stand you in good stead. Put this, take good notes Put it in a file in the back of your mind, and somewhere the Holy Spirit is going to remind you of these truths. 
And so he says, Paul says, he says, guys, girls, I want you guys to live in a state of mutual submission to one another. And then I love how the New Living Translation kind of goes from that in verse 22 when he says, for wives, this means. This is what mutual submission looks like for the wives. And then a little later he's going to say, for husbands, it looks like this. And then he carries on later on and he says, for slaves, it looks like this. For slave owners and masters, it looks like this. For parents, it looks like this. For children, it looks like this. But the place where we start from is a place of mutual submission towards one another. And so he says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, I've never had to submit to my husband. I've never been a wife. don't know what it feels like to be a wife. But if I were a wife and I was to read verse 22, I would like, Jesus, are you serious? <laughs> that is a really high bar right there. That is really high. I've never had to submit to my husband, but I've had to submit to other people in my life. And I think sometimes we miss that, that all of us live in an environment and lives where submission happens all the time. I have superiors. I have superiors now. In my previous works, I had people superior, and I had to submit to them. They would make decisions, and I had to keep to their submission, to their decisions. Whether I agreed or disagreed with them in that context was largely irrelevant. They were the boss, and I was the worker, and the boss had said, and... And now it comes in Jesus, if that environment, if Jesus said, Philip, submit to your boss as to the Lord, I would have been, Jesus, you're kidding me. <laughs> so I know that kind of one of those things you read, and it's pretty impossible. And he carries on. He says, for a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. And I can imagine if I were to be a lady and I were to read that, I can imagine that Jesus is a pretty high standard that you're asking right there. And then he goes and he says, okay, for men, for husbands, this means love your wives. And I wish he had put a full stop there. I wish the sentence had ended there because then I would have said, okay, I can do that. But it doesn't end there because he carries on and he says, just as Christ loved the church. Highly improbable. He adds this little bit that takes it from the highly improbable but perhaps doable, I can love my wife, into the completely impossible. You see, if the instruction is Philip, love Janetta, okay, I can do that. I, I can find a way. I can love Janetta. If the instruction is, Philip, love Janetta in the way that Christ loves the church, I'm like, I don't even know where to start. That is just the realm of impossibility. We've just hit that right there because of the magnitude of Christ's love for the church. And yet this is exactly what Jesus says. And I, I love when I read this, when I read this passage that Paul's written to the church in Ephesus here, he's not saying if it is perhaps possible to find a way to do it. If you're in a good mood on that day, if the toast isn't burnt or the house is clean or the socks have been picked up from the floor or whatever it is, then love her like Christ loved the church. No, he's love her always like Christ loves the church. He gave up his life for her. We're speaking to the 
obviously the first year, speaking to the unmarrieds early in the week in relationship week, and we were talking about if we're entering into a relationship, we should just start at least from the same departure point that God started from when He brought man, and I sort of said to them kind of, what was God thinking when He brought man and woman together? And we did a session around that, and one of the elements is that He brought them together so that we could demonstrate love to one another and Then he comes and he says he gives up his life for her. And so that bar for us husbands, that's crazy, crazy high. It says, Philip, I want you to love Yanetta and not just love her, but love her in the way that I love the church. And I love the church so much that I gave up my life for her. And we start kind of digging into that. And I'm like, Jesus, the Bible would have been a better book without this, except it's not. Except there is something about the grace and the beauty of Jesus we discover when we embrace the bits that are hard for us to hear. But what about my career and what about my dreams and what about my hopes? And, but what about I gave them all up for my church? He gave up His life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's Word. He did this to present her to Himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. And obviously, he's talking about what the church should be and what he is making us to be. But there's an element there of what us, we as husbands, should be striving and growing and trusting God to be able to impart into our wives. Because he goes on in verse 28 and he says, in the same way. Not in a almost kind of similar parallel way. In the same way. Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church and we are members of his body. As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. And so again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Kind of if we read through that passage, that's a pretty high, actually impossible standard for every one of us. When I read that, I look at that, and the one thing that I know in my marriage I cannot do, as much as I think I'm a good husband and perfect and all of those things at the right time, I cannot love my wife like Christ loves the church. I do not have that in me. I cannot always, as Philip, stand up and say, well, Jesus said I must do it, so here I go. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to now love my wife like Christ loved the church. I wish I could, but I know I can't. And I read a passage like this, and a part of me wants to get like a a little bit despondent, but then I kind of, something stirs in me, something that we always said to the unmarried during relationship week over and over and over, is the primary question in your heart that you want to have the best spouse possible or that you want to be the best spouse possible. Because if we come to relationship week with a heart of one day I want to find the best spouse possible, that's not necessarily a bad prayer, but there's very little that you can do about that now. But there's a lot that I can do about potentially being the best spouse possible. I can bring my heart, my attitude, my issues. I can deal with my stuff. I can find healing for my hurts. I can learn to love. All of those things I can do. Challenge us as, as we read this for those of us who are, are married. 
You know, I was talking about tipex scriptures a, a couple of weeks or probably months ago by now. You know those passages we would rather tipex out. Here's a little hint, and, and please hear my heart. I don't want to be blasphemous in any way, but perhaps if there are passages that you do want to tipex out, maybe these are them. So maybe for me, something that is healthy to do, if, if you hear kind of the heart and the context in which I'm saying it, is to get some tipics. And a good piece for me as a husband to tipics out is what God is saying to my wife. Because that's the part I typically want to highlight. I want to highlight and go home and say, Yanetta, this is what you must do. And I sort of want to forget what I must do. Just as an aside, just the way that it's printed here is... You know, it's like four lines to the ladies, and it's about two paragraphs to the guys in the way that it's printed out here. Us guys need a lot more instruction how to do this marriage thing than the ladies do. But it's amazing how perhaps our default when we read this, and maybe if our marriage is just a little bit strained, if there's just a touch of something that's not quite flowing smoothly, we read this and we read what the other one should or shouldn't be doing. I want to encourage us Step away from that and focus on what should I be doing? He's not saying for a husband, tell your wives to do this. He's saying for husbands, this bit is applicable to you. So in a sense, typics out the wives bit if you're a husband. Don't use that as a, a lot, some rod that you can use against your wife in some way as a spouse to say, no, no, but Scripture says you must. But Scripture says you must and you must and we start you musting one another. No, Scripture says, I must. So ladies, if you have to tipex out something, you're going to need a lot of tipex because there's a lot of stuff here for the husbands. You tipex that out. And we go into our relationship and we go into our marriage and we have at our center not so much what you must do and who you must be, but who must I be? One of the things that we've seen over the years in marriage counseling is the incredible change that happens when we stop trying to fix the other one and we allow Jesus to start fixing us. When we stop saying the other one must do this, must do that, must do that, mustn't do this, should do this. And we start stepping back and we're saying, okay, well, I'll, I'll let Jesus fix me. It is amazing what happens in marriages when we begin to embrace that. And so we read that and kind of we're like, Jesus, this is a really, really high, probably close to impossible standard. But then I'm reminded of other passages, something like Luke chapter 18, verse 27, where God says, obviously in a different context, He's talking about the rich coming to salvation, but I think the principle carries through and He says, what is impossible for people is possible for God. What is impossible for people is possible for God. Maybe perhaps we can put there and there, what is impossible for Philip is possible with God. What is impossible for put in your name. If you were to read those instructions that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, to the husbands and to the wives, if you are the husband or the wife and you're reading that and you're like, I know myself, this is impossible. I have seen a glimpse of Jesus' love for His church over centuries. And that's impossible. And then Luke 18 verse 27. But what is impossible for me God can do. So ladies, if you read that and you're like, it is impossible for me to live with that disposition towards my husband, I've got great news for you. What is impossible for you is possible for God. 
And so the key that I actually want us to speak a little bit about is how do we move from this impossible to the possible? How do we move in our marriages from a place where we have these expectations and we both look at them and we both look at each other and we say, there's no ways. Do we just give up and say, I can't do this? Or are we able to step into a place of grace to say, well, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave dwells in you and dwells in me, so by God's grace we can find a way to make this work. That same Spirit who turned death into life, the same Spirit who wiped sin away, the same Spirit that transformed us on the inside when we came to Christ still lives in us. So let's do this. Let's do this in a grace way. Let's do this in a way in which we realize I can't and you can't, but Jesus can. So how do we step into that to invite the Spirit of God to bring that transformation? How do we step into that to say, Jesus, come and be the center of my marriage? Somebody was asking at the camp, not at the camp, at the the relationship week, is it okay, what if they want to marry an unbelieving person or whatever? And my response was like, why on earth would you want to? Why would I go, want to go into the type of relationship where this conversation we're having now is an impossibility? Why would I want to set myself up for that life of struggle and a heartache where the transformation of Christ in somebody's heart isn't the center point of who we are and our coming together? And so I want us to just three brief things that hopefully will help us to begin to step into. It's one of those things where we could probably spend weeks talking about what do we need to do. But at the same time, if we just start stepping into that, just as a married couple or as an individual within my marriage, start saying, Jesus, I have a really amazing spouse. And I really love her, but I can't love her like you love your church. But I want to. So will you help me? Holy Spirit, will you show me? Will you teach me? Will you come and inspire me? I'm probably not always going to get this right every single day, but I at least want to be heading in that direction. It's three things that I think perhaps could help us if we were to embrace these in our marriage, embrace these in our relationships. We'll be taking that step of inviting the Holy Spirit to come and make the impossible in our lives possible. The first one is really simple. It's just acknowledge the need. Just pray that simple prayer that I was saying now, Holy Spirit, I can't. I know I should. I know this is the expectation, but I can't. James 5 verse 6 says it so nicely. He gives grace generously. God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. That's just a New Testament quote actually from Proverbs 3 verse 34, which says very much the same thing. Are we willing to... Assume the place of humility to say, Jesus, this which you have called me to do, I cannot do it outside of your grace. I wish I could, but I can't. And so we can be proud and we can resist and we can say, no, I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to make this work. It's okay. I've got this. And God looks at it and we're resisting. He resists us. Or we can take the route of saying, God, I don't quite know how I'm going to do this. Actually, I know I'm not going to do this. It's a great conversation to have with your spouse. To say, I can't do this. But I want it of grace. I'm going to trust God to empower me to do this. So let's have an abundance of grace with one another as we approach this. And God gives grace 
when we start in that place of humility. Just as an aside, I know from time to time, it's actually, Yaku does most of our, or actually virtually all for the last couple of years, marriage preparation in church. And I'm assuming it's still very much the same as it was years ago when I was still a little bit involved with it. But you do marriage prep with this couple and they're engaged, they're about to be engaged and there's just sparkle in their eyes, maybe still a sparkle on a ring on the finger and they're excited about life and what, and they look at it, they say, we never fight. We've never fought, we're never going to fight. And then we do sessions with conflict management and they clutch out and they look at each other with these sparkles in their eyes because they never fight. And then normally it's about a year after the marriage. Suddenly they back on the couch or back in the office and they say, we've got a problem. What's the problem? We're fighting. We haven't learned to fight. I say it's a good place to be. It's a normal place to be. And often in those type of conversations, the feeling is our marriage is on the rocks. It is finished. We are never going to recover about this because he wanted breakfast at seven and I made it at quarter past seven and we don't know how we're going to reconcile. And it's like this thing has crept in and they don't know how to make right. And it feels like the marriage is just absolutely falling apart. And then we can speak these beautiful words of grace over them and say, no, you're just beginning to discover a part of the beauty of marriage. The part where you realize you've married someone else who doesn't think like you, act like you, hope like you, dream like you, grow in love with one another, somebody who is different. And we say that fighting, it's normal. It's how we fight which is important. The fact that we're not going to agree on everything, that is absolutely normal in any relationship with any two people on the planet. The things that we're not going to agree on with, especially initially, and that's okay. And what I want to say to us, just quickly as a little asterisk, and we're going to get back to the message in a moment, is, so we talk to, we get those type of people sometimes, and I'm thankful that we're able to early on speak to. The other people who we do marriage counseling with often is by the time it's too late. We've tried everything, we're at the end, and often people would sit across from our desk and they're actually just looking for an okay to get divorced from you. <laughs> they're, actually just, they're actually at the point and they just want somebody to say, it's okay. You can give up and you can leave. And what I want to encourage you guys, for those of us who are married, is rather get help early than too late. There is no shame in asking somebody, hey, we're going through just a little patch where we, it's just tricky right now. Get help earlier rather than later. Yaneta and I did that. We went for a week or once every second communication counseling for how long was it? A couple of months, six months, once a week or once every second week. We went and sat with somebody who could just help us figure it out because we realized here was something which if we don't address it is going to be huge later on. And so let's get somebody to come and help. And there's no shame in that. The problem is so many of us just in our modern society, we don't get that little help early on. And then it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually it's just a big explosion. And then, two o'clock in the morning, I get the phone call, Philip, you must save my marriage. And I say, oh, it's really hard to do this at two o'clock in the morning. Let's all go to sleep, get rest, and we'll talk in the morning and trust God for some form of healing. Asking somebody, is, don't wait until it's too late. There's no shame in knocking on the door, asking somebody who you trust, somebody with a bit of wisdom about relationships, earlier rather than later. So the first one is acknowledge, I need help. Holy Spirit, I need your help. 
Invite Him in. I think humility invites the presence of God in like few other things. And Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A soft answer. Be quick to say sorry. One of the quotes that we use and we hear in sort of marriage marriage prep type of thing, environment that we speak about a lot, is that couples don't often so much fall out of love as much as they fall out of repentance. Then if you've noticed this way, the, the single guy is sitting at the back there. When you guys go on a date with a girl and you 30 seconds late to pick her up, sorry I'm late. And something, it's sorry, sorry. It's very easy to say sorry early on in the relationship. And for the ladies as well, sorry, sorry, it flows easily, it flows naturally. We're trying to improve the relationship, progresses. It, becomes, it is so easy to say sorry. And then as the relationship progresses, it becomes sometimes harder and harder to say sorry. The sorry becomes this almost swear word. You can't really expect me to apologize. I remember sitting with a couple who sadly we really tried, but by the time they got to us, their relationship was just beyond repair, their state of heart, the hardness of their heart. And I remember having to actually sit in the office, fight with them, and say, until we see you next week, can you two try just this one thing for me? Just one thing. Just try to be nice with the other person. Just try not to do anything this week that is deliberately being mean towards them. And they, wouldn't even, they couldn't even commit to just doing that. It's not like I said, yes, we'll do it, and sorry, we come back next week, we didn't manage. It's like, no, I'm not even going to commit to doing that. Until she changes, until he changes, I will if. And that relationship from there, obviously, it was just a spiral downhill. And incredibly sad to see. You know, relationship, sorry, just as one, well, depending, I guess, how you phrase it, two words, three words, I am sorry, I'm sorry, if you... You don't want to, if three words is too much to get out of your mouth, just say, I'm sorry. If you can marriage three words, I am sorry. It's a bit like relational superglue. It fixes anything. There is something phenomenal that happens if somebody just comes to us and says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Read one of the, read one of the quotes here. Sort of as I was praying through and preparing this, it says, Apologizing doesn't always mean you're wrong and the other person is right. It just means you value your relationship more than your ego. I love that. What is it that makes it hard for us in a marriage context to say sorry to one another? And once again, these principles carry through to every relationship. They just come to the sort of the extreme within the intensity and the cauldron of a marriage. Why is it hard for us to come home and say, I'm sorry? Even if it isn't, I'm sorry about the facts. I'm sorry about what happened. I'm sorry about how you experienced it. I'm sorry that it hurt you. I'm sorry that you're in a place of being uncomfortable or sore or whatever it is. But let's just start with that. I'm sorry, I acknowledge that you are hurt in some way. And I'm sorry about that. First point I think we should try is acknowledge the need. I need 
I'm, for me, this is really easy because I know there's no ways I can love my wife like Christ loved the church. That's just the highest form of crazy love ever. I don't have that in me. Holy Spirit, I need you. Acknowledge the need. Secondly, be quick to apologize. Here's a, a great challenge for your marriage. Marriage. Try this one. Live in such a way that you are never the second one to say sorry. Did you get that? Conduct your marriage in such a way that you are never the second one to say sorry. Can you imagine if both spouses both try and outdo the other one in saying sorry first? I think that's going to be a pretty healthy communication starter at least. doesn't mean everything is going to be right, but the heart's attitude is, I want to be the first one to say sorry. Even if I think in this situation I'm the least guilty, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to be the first one to say sorry. And then the third one for us this morning, just talking about how do I get the Holy Spirit? How do I invite the Holy Spirit to allow me to transition from this impossible requirement to love and to respect as Christ loves or as the church respects? How do I do that? I love kind of how does, here's a great way kind of obviously in church, church world is sort of what I live in at the moment and think and breathe and that's where we are. But you know, as the church and maybe this is just a little bit to help some of you ladies, so Janeta, because I'm not trying to preach at her. It's definitely not the point. But we go through a process every year. We take February and we fast and we say, God, what is it that you are saying? We want to follow you. We want to hear you. We want to know what is on your heart. We bring our desires and our hopes before you. And once a month, we come together in First Monday prayer. And our, our dispositions all the time is, Jesus, we want to follow you because you are the head of the church. And we don't want to put our agenda, our desires, our dreams above yours. We sing songs like, let your kingdom come, Lord, with the implication, not ours. We lay it down all the time. We are actively trying to position ourselves to make sure we are following Christ. And so... That's an impossible within the context of what we're saying now. That's what Jesus says as wives we should do to our husbands. We should, what's the word that it uses in the translation? Um, fortunately, it's a short bit there. Husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the bodies. You should submit to your wives in everything. We bring this disposition of submission as a church towards Christ. We flip that around, and Christ says, well, I will give my everything to the point of death for the church. And so, wives, if we're dreaming, aspiring, kind of living our lives in a way that I at all times want to be sensitive to what I sense my husband is saying and leading us, I think we're beginning to tap into a little bit of what God wants us there. And husbands, on the flip side, if we're at all times saying, how can I cherish my wife? How can I nourish my wife? How can I protect my wife? How can I comfort my wife? How can I shower love on my wife? How can I lay down my life for my wife? If that's my disposition all the time, I think we're going to have some pretty healthy relationships around you. We're going to be giving glory to God. The last one about just asking the Holy Spirit to come and empower us, to come and show us in this. And then for this morning, we're going to get really practical for the married people. We're going to talk through some of these this morning. But Philippians chapter 2, and I love once again just how, how Paul writes, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Isn't that almost the most sarcastic sentence ever written? <laughs> 
Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Heck yes. Any comfort from His love? Of course. Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? The answer to those things wholeheartedly, obviously. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. This isn't given in a marriage context. This is just given in a church relational context. But once again, I think the principle carries through into marriage. Agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. And then verse 3, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. I think one of the reasons we sometimes struggle to love like Christ loved is because we don't learn to appreciate like our spouse appreciates. Maybe if you have a, have a spouse who loves pets. I don't. <laughs> we have a zoo. Our zoo is getting smaller at the moment because some of the animals are dying and I'm resisting the new intake of zoo animals. Now, if I don't find a way in me to learn to at least appreciate, I don't have to love the dog and the animals like she does, but I have to look out for her interests. I have to say, having dogs and cats and hamsters and birds and whatever other animal you can begin to think of, except maybe snakes. Yesterday, I had to interrupt a conversation because Michelle was, I almost walked up to Michelle, Michelle sitting in front of her, almost said, get behind me, Satan, because Michelle was wanting Janetta to get more birds now and this thing and that thing. And Michelle's also very much an, an animal person. And she's perhaps even more of a saint. See, my, half of the cats that we had, we literally, Janetta picks them up because at the school she was working, there were baby cats, and we pick up cats, and then I know where the cats are going to end up. And then someone would, on, our, on our neighborhood group would post, they found a dove that is dying, and I know today when I get home where the dove is going to be. <laughs> uh, we've got one another here, Darren. Okay, Darren. So I can either say, well, that's Janetta's thing, it's not my thing. And then I think I'm being disobedient to Scripture. Or I can say, well, that is Janetta's thing, but I'm going to learn to look out for her interests. I'm going to find a way to join her, maybe not in the excitement of the dog itself, but in the excitement that she has. I'm going to value what she values. I'm going to learn to appreciate that she appreciates it. And I'm going to make room for it. And I think one of the biggest challenges we often find in marriages is we draw these lines and we say, that's your thing and that's my thing. And fair enough, there's an element in terms of the actually living it out. But are we showing an interest in the elements in our spouse that don't, I don't only want to look out for my own interests, I want to take an interest in your interests too. Why are these things important? Explain to me why you love having a stupid, hairy, nauseous dog in the way all the time. <laughs> why is that important to you? Let me learn to develop a love for that interest. 
now we need to get an extra vacuum cleaner and a different vacuum cleaner because we have to have this dog who is hairy and the hair is all over the place. And we can get hard and difficult. I'm just using that one as a silly example, but it carries through. Are we willing to say, I want to learn and develop an interest because let me just quickly step back. What is the instruction to me as a husband? The instruction to me as a husband is, am I loving like Christ loved the church and laid His life down for her? And I think Jesus loves the things that are dear to our heart. I think He cares about what is on our heart. I think that's part of what He does for His church. The things that are important to us, they might not be the things that are naturally important to Him. In fact, the flip side for us, is, for those of you who are ladies, the, the similar parallel carries through. And so I realize when we come to marriage, when we read texts like this, it's like, this is impossible, never going to happen. I don't know how to lay down and give up my life for my wife. But then I see that Jesus says it is possible because with God, all things are possible. And then we begin to invite God in and say, okay, God, make this possible. Teach me, show me, Lord. Lord, I struggle with this, God. Show me how to do this, Lord. Show me how to be obedient to your scripture. Holy Spirit, empower me to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her because that doesn't come naturally. I've yet to meet the guy to whom that comes naturally. It's against the way that we are just wired in our fallenness. But there is something so beautiful which begins to happen when we begin to step into it and we say, thank you, Holy Spirit. You are able to make me able. So let's go. Don't know what this is going to look like six months, a year from now, but I'm going to trust you, Holy Spirit, that the same Spirit that rose Christ from the grave and now lives in me will make me able to love my wife as Christ loved the church, to follow my husband as the church follows Christ. You're able to do that. So what I'd love us to do, and I know some of us aren't married, but let's start with the married couples here this morning. We have another 10 minutes or so. I know it's easy to say we're going to have this conversation later and we never get to it. So I want you, just as you're sitting, just to turn to one another. And for five minutes or so, just talk through this. And not say what you think the other one should do, because that's the easy part of the conversation. What is it that you sense God is wanting you to invite? Where are you sensing that you need to invite the Holy Spirit in to come and help you to be obedient to one of Scripture in this context? Does that make sense? Just a few moments, turn to one another. You're not going to finish the conversation now, but hey, hopefully we can start the conversation now and we can carry on a little bit later. For those of you who are unmarried here, perhaps to turn to one another and say, what do you think are the things that would make it hard for you to fulfill Scripture and the scriptural requirements in marriage? If you were to meet X person tomorrow and get married for argument's sake a year from now, what are the things that you think would make it hard for you to embrace this passage? So let's take a few moments, just obviously spouses together and for the singles in groups of two or three, just sharing together and pray over one another towards the end. We'll, I'll cue you for that as well. Okay, so some of the singles, you guys might need to move around to find somebody who you can share with and pray with.
perhaps also just a little bit easier, maybe men together with men and women with women, that might be easier. Hitting pause on that conversation. It's good to see you guys chatting and engaging. I want to encourage you, keep this. And I said hit pause because when you get home, make sure you hit play again some way. Don't just leave the conversation here. Carry it on. It is so important. Um, and I want to pray with you now. This evening, we're going to carry on speaking to the singles, specifically speaking about how do you know that's the one? You know, there can be only one. How do we know that one is the one? So if you want to invite some people along, if you want to join us for that, we're going to have a great time together this evening. But I also want to mention, just before we go, if, we, if you are here and your relationship needs prayer, you need some, you're just going through stuff, it doesn't have to be the end of the world stuff, just you just need prayer, you just need some guidance, some counsel, and you need the Holy Spirit more than anything to just come and do something in your relationship. Then I want to ask you, we want to pray with you this morning. We would love to take a moment just to pray and to invite the Holy Spirit into your relationship. So there is going to be coffee and tea outside. Obviously, you're welcome to go out, hang around, have some coffee and tea. But if you do need prayer, please don't leave without letting us pray with you first. Um, we'd hate for you to go out carrying the same burdens that you brought in with you. So Jesus, thank you this morning that we could take a moment just to stand still about the central precious relationship that you have given us in our marriages, Lord God, that you love family, Lord. You love husband and wife, Lord. It was your idea right from the start, Lord God. You put man and woman together. Lord, it is such a beautiful mystery that you have created that we get to experience, and we thank you for that, Lord. And so I pray for every marriage represented here, those already married, those who will still be married in the future, Lord God. And God, we pray that every one of our marriages would be marked by grace, Lord God that there would be an abundance of grace poured over them in Jesus' name, Lord. That we would find ways by the power of your Spirit, Lord Jesus, to bring glory to your name, to truly love our spouses as you love the church, to honor, to defer to them, Lord God, to submit as you call us to, Lord God, in, a be in the beauty of all that it represents that you have before us, Lord. We want to walk in the fullness of your plan for our marriages in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a fantastic day further. Do come forward if you need prayer. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash Pretoria.